So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the gospel account of Luke, in chapter 24, on the day of the resurrection, when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, his disciples had locked themselves away in an upper room because they were afraid that the people who had killed Jesus would then come after them. So they were locked in this room and Jesus appeared to them in, in this room, risen. And Luke tells us in Luke 24 that when they saw Jesus, they disbelieved for joy. The disciples had spent the last few days in grief and confusion and despair and fear. Jesus had been killed at the hands of wicked men, buried in a tomb, dead. Their hopes were gone because Jesus was dead. And they had spent this time in confusion and despair and fear. And suddenly, there Jesus is, alive, having conquered sin and death. In that moment, everything is different for the disciples in the best possible way. And they disbelieved for joy. Their brains couldn't even compute how good this news was. There he is. He is alive. And then you fast forward a few decades, and the Apostle Peter, who was one of those disciples in that room that day, Peter writes a letter. We call this letter 1 Peter. And he writes this letter to Gentile Christians, non-Jewish background Christians, Christians that were living in the Roman Empire, these Christians who were facing hardship and suffering and persecution. In, in verse 6 that I just read, Peter refers to their trouble as various trials. In, in his writing, Peter means to encourage his audience that in the midst of their various trials, the fact that they are Christians gives them hope. The fact that they follow Jesus is a source of hope. And it's not just hope, but in verse 3, he calls it a living hope. Though life is difficult for these Christians, Peter wants them to know they have a Savior. 
who rose from the dead and is alive. And because of that, they have hope. And and what we'll see in the text is Peter says that hope that you have, this living hope, reaches back into your past. It sustains you, holds you in the present, and it stretches forward into the future. This living hope that you have is a hope for your past, for your present, and and your future. So first, the resurrection of Christ reaches back to give us hope for our past. If you think about it, it's ridiculous to talk about hope for the past. The past happened. What what is there to hope in? Hope is future-oriented. It looks ahead. Hope is a desire for something to happen in the future. I hope this warm weather holds up. I hope I have enough money for retirement. I hope I get that job or pass that test or make a good first impression. The past seems like a fixed reality. You had the parents you had. You got the grades you got. You spent your money how you spent your money. And every month your credit card bill reminds you. You made the decisions you made and what was done to you in the past was done to you. And this is what can make the past so painful. As you grow older, you accumulate a collection of failures, losses, regrets, pain, scars, missed opportunities. People have done things to you. You have said or done things you shouldn't have said or done. Or you haven't said or haven't done things you should have. You have made and broken promises. You have started and then failed to complete projects. I've been reading the novel, A Place on Earth by Wendell Berry. And in this this book, there's a character named Jack Beecham. And Jack is this old man and this, uh, Wendell Berry tells that this, this old man, in his retirement, he would sit in his room at night thinking about all of his regrets, the things that he had said, the things that he sh- had done, what he should have said, what he should have done, the failures, loss, and pain from his past haunted him. Most of his life was behind him and there was nothing he could do about it except remember. We have all been given one life and we've made a mess of that life. By our thoughts and our words and our actions, we've sinned against God, betrayed and belittled him. We've harmed ourselves and, and misused and done wrong to one another. And, and deeply damaged ourselves. And the chief tormentor of our past is death. Ever, even, even since last Easter, think back to last Easter. Since last Easter, many of us have said painful goodbyes. People we love, 
people we depended on, people whose lives were intricately woven into ours, die. Look, look in your bulletin. On the back of your bulletin is a list. The Easter lilies. These lilies represent people we love who are now gone. Parents and grandparents, friends and wives, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters. And so when we think about the failure and pain and loss of our past, what can there be in terms of hope? What can be done about these fixed realities? On Easter Sunday, the misery of our sin and loss meets the mercy of our God and Father. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The snow has finally been melting these past few days as winter gives way to spring. And the, the other day I was out in my yard and I found an old rag that had been outside all winter and had been buried under the snow. This rag, you can imagine, it was filthy and stained and crumpled and, and rotting. And it went straight in the garbage can. That's a pretty good picture of the mess of our lives. Because of sin, the fabric of your life and mine is, is torn and stained and crumpled and tattered. And on Good Friday, Jesus went to the garbage can for us. Jesus, Jesus' life was ruined. Jesus' life was destroyed and discarded for us. The good, pure, righteous, faithful Son of God took the punishment for our sins. The only one in history whose garments were free from the stain of sin, was crushed, killed on the cross, buried in a grave. Not because of what he had done, but because of the mess we had made. Jesus died because the penalty for our sin is death. But Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, those who believe in him are born again to a living hope. The stained, ruined fabric of our life is buried with Christ in his death. And in his resurrection, we are given a new life. We are covered in the clean fabric of Christ's spotless, righteous, triumphant life. 
the regrets and failures and devastation of our sinful lives was laid to rest with Christ on Good Friday, put away forever, and we now have a new life defined by Christ's power and perfection. We, we, if you are in Christ, we are not the sum of our past thoughts, words, and deeds, but of Christ's and his thoughts, words, and deeds. Through Christ's resurrection, we can be born again. A new life to replace the old, ruined life. And Christ's resurrection from the dead, it not only saves us from the misery of our sins, but it comforts us in the grief of our loss. Those who receive the new birth through faith in Christ will be raised to new life with Christ. A few minutes ago, Kim read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul tells us, we, we don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. When you, when you consider those you love who have fallen asleep, who have died, don't grieve like you don't have hope. Because we believe that because Jesus was raised from the dead, so also those who trust in Jesus will be raised with him. We will have them back. In in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. I said at the beginning of the service, Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I hold the keys to death and Hades. Death belongs to me now, and it does not have the final word anymore. We've been born again to a living hope. If you are trusting Christ, there is hope for your past because the grave could not hold your Savior. The resurrection also gives us hope for the present. Today is Easter Sunday. The sun is shining. The snow is melting. Little girls look pretty in their dresses. Little boys look handsome and uncomfortable. And dinner will be delicious. This service, is, it's, a little oa- it's a little oasis where, where we can step out of the chaos of life. All is well here in, in this room right now. But after your family leaves this afternoon, when the dishes are done, the house is put back together, real life is going to creep back in. Monday morning, we will all have the same troubles that we had yesterday. The credit card balances, the messy marriage, the wayward child, the discouraging job, the panic attacks, the addictive tendencies, they haven't gone anywhere. Peter anticipates this. He says, we are grieved by various trials. Verse verse 6, you have been grieved by various trials. Life as a Christian on this side of heaven is not easy and trouble-free. It contains grief and trouble. Our present hope as Christians is not that if we have enough faith, God will give us an easy life. That's not in the Bible. Rather, our hope as Christians is that 
in our trials, God will sustain us and prove himself as sufficient for us. Peter tells us to have hope because we are being guarded by God in our present various trials and because those various trials are necessary. So be comforted in your trials because you're being guarded and they're necessary. Verse 5, Christians are people who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Our six-year-old, Tommy, he's learning to read and because he's reading everything all the time, he's got a lot of questions. He's constantly asking us questions. The other day, he saw somewhere, he saw it on one of our computers or something, that Northfield was under a flood warning because of all this melting snow. You've seen, if you've seen the river, it's high. And so he was really concerned. What happens if the river floods? Will our house flood? So we had to explain to him that the river, it would only rise a few feet, but that our house is much higher and, and very safe. Buddy, don't worry, our house is not going to flood. He doesn't need to worry about that specific danger. So when we think of trouble coming our way, what's our comfort? What will, what will happen to us when the flood of waters rise? We are being guarded by God's power. Being guarded, not guarding ourselves, thank goodness. Not guarded by our power, but by God's power. And in, in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul explicitly ties this power, the power that he's using to guard us, he, he ties that power to the resurrection. Paul says that the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the power that God used to do the impossible, to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, that power is the power he is using to guard you, to keep you safe. Whatever, whatever various trial comes your way has to go through God the Father. And for it to harm you, it would have to have more power than the one who raised Christ from the dead. That's comfort. That is something you can rely on. That is hope in your trial. And Peter says that these various trials are necessary Verse, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, he tells us why they're necessary. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we have the hope that these various trials the pain, the suffering, the persecution, the difficulties of life, they're not the malicious stabs of an enemy. They're not the random lightning strike of a world with no person, but they are the, the careful work of a skilled surgeon. Every trouble in your life comes through the wisdom of, of your Father in heaven. 
For a Christian, every moment of every trouble that you will ever endure is purposeful and comes according to the plans and purposes of a heavenly Father who loves you. In our various trials, God means to take our faith from hypothetical presumption to tested genuineness. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I think I do. But on the other side of the trial, after God has shown up, after God has sustained you, you say, yes, I believe. He has been enough for me. In our troubles, God is performing heart surgery so that we can say, like Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, in our affliction, in our trials, in our various troubles, In our affliction, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of God's purposes in your trials Whatever your trouble is, one of God's purposes is to make you not trust your own strength, but trust his strength. Lean on him. Go to him. Depend on him. Cry out to him. Not to anything else. The troubles that we face are necessary to drive us away from our strength, which is not very strong, to the power of God who raises people from the dead. That's strength. But there's, there's hope for the present because we are being guarded even in our trouble by a God who raises the dead. And then finally, there's hope for the future. For those who trust in Christ, because of the resurrection, there is hope for the future. In verse 6, Peter says something He says it's necessary that we've been grieved by various trials, but then he adds this really important phrase in front of it for a little while. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. God has redeemed our pasts. He is helping us in the troubles of our present, and he has a glorious future for us. These present trials are not forever. It will not always be like this. We have been born again to a living hope and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. That's verse 4. Born again to a living hope and to an inheritance. We are being guarded through faith, verse verse 5, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 8, we don't now see him, but we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All this hope we have as Christians is headed somewhere. There's something in the future that we are looking forward to. I have a friend who I went to seminary with. He's an endurance runner. 
He runs ultra marathons, so you already know he's crazy. He, he runs 50 or 100 mile races or 24 hour races. But the craziest race that he runs is an elimination race. It's a last man standing race. And how it works is you have 50 or so runners and they have to run a 5K, 3.1 miles, they have to run a 5K every hour, once every hour until the last person is left. And so it's, this, this to me is maddening psychologically. <laughs> you have to be so crazy to do something like this. For, for these guys, that, these guys that are used to running 50, 100 more miles, the first six hours are a breeze. Easy. The, the next six hours, still, still really fun. The next six hours starts to get a little more serious. You're starting to get tired. But then you get 24 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours in. And it just becomes unbelievable. Unbearable. When will this end? When will I be done? When will I rest? There's four other people left. How, how close are they to being done? Do I have to run this one more time? Three more times? Twelve more times? That is not our reality. There is a finish line for us as Christians, and it is not far off. The end is coming in a little while. It's drawing closer. These various trials are only for a little while. They will give way to a resurrection life, an eternity of peace and rest. As others have said, for the Christian, life is hard, God is good, and glory is coming. There is hope, not just for our past or our present, but also for our future. We are running a race as Christians, and there is a finish line to that race where we will be raised to new life with Jesus, to live with him in peace and rest. So going back to the beginning, Luke 24, these disciples on, on Resurrection Sunday, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, these disciples see Jesus and they disbelieve for joy. And then here in 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, look at what Peter says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is the living one. He died and behold, he is alive forever. And so in Jesus, there is hope for our past, our present, and our future. Let's pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you, Father, because you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. When Jesus 
climbed out of that grave on Easter Sunday, he purchased the power for us to also be born again, for us to also live, for our pasts to be redeemed, for our present to be sustained, and for our future to be secure. We love Jesus for what he has done. We rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In Christ we pray, amen.